Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's issues in under an hour. Today's date is April 3rd, 2022. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How's it going in the land of sunshine, my friend? Well, it, that is exactly it, the land of sunshine. We, uh, <laughs> we are... Uh, we're having a nice, a nice warm spring, uh, as opposed to uh, the rest of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, we've been fighting to be above zero here, but I've got to say that uh, those folks who live in the colder climes, our snow is actually melting amazingly fast, considering we're only a few degrees above zero on a daily basis, and it gets below freezing at nighttime. So I'm, I'm quite happy to see that I can almost see all of my front lawn already. Oh, I know that uh, this past week in, uh, in southern Ontario, it was like minus 10, minus 12. Um, I, I just, you could not pay me enough to live in any other province. And <laughs> yes, I do know that I have a communist government in BC, but you can't pay me enough to live in a different part of this country. <laughs> well, at least you acknowledge that you do indeed have a communist government in, in BC. So. I think that I don't think that's up for discussion. That's, <laughs> that's just fact. Yeah, I mean the, the BC government has uh, uh, updated the province on its multi-year quest to. Uh, rid BC's laws of uh, outdated, I think their word was outdated language, such as mom, dad, mother, father, aunt, her, him, uh, what else? Oh, substance abuse. That term has been changed to substance use. Um, yeah, so in the 800 BC laws, they are sanitizing the language so that you, uh, so that there's no genders being used. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I also <laughs> received a business card from a government employee yesterday and it has their preferred pronouns on the business card. And that is a requirement by the BC government. Oh, the inmates really are running the asylum out there, aren't they? Yeah. I, I, I told that person that I would have refused to put them on my card because I have a brain. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and it's like, I have eyes and I can tell that you are a he, him. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, and, and if you're not a he, him, I really don't care. It's your business, not mine. I don't care. Yeah. That, that's a good, good point. So, uh... Wow. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I can understand it maybe if you are going through the transition and you do not appear to be the opposite sex yet. Um, but uh, otherwise, like if it's not needed, they shouldn't be there. Yeah, exactly. 
so for, for 0.6% of the population we're making a hundred percent of the population declare their pronouns it's insanity yeah sure is so with that in the background canada on the show today the government now owns your kids the oil and gas sector set to decline bill c11 creates an expert advisory group danielle smith makes a comeback budget time and more so where do we go sir well let's talk about um daniel smith sure we'll uh, we'll start with there and uh just should remind you canada in case you haven't noticed the price of gas going up a few cents this past weekend happy carbon tax increase day our carbon tax went up april 1st by another ten dollars a ton to fifty dollars a ton and I love that they use these ambiguous numbers that you and I can never translate into what it actually cost us. But fear not, Canada, all of our MPs still took on a nice big $3,700 a year raise. So they'll be okay. Well, I'm so happy that our MPs got a raise. That makes me feel so much more comfortable. Absolutely, yeah. I was worried that they might be panhandling in the streets, but they're going to be okay. I was worried that they wouldn't be able to afford the carbon tax. Oh, no, that's that's the regular Canadian. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's right. And speaking of regular Canadians, Danielle Smith, who was uh, a media figure, then a political figure, and then a media figure again, has now decided she is going to be a political figure again. So... Anybody in Alberta, and we do have a large contingent of listeners in Alberta, you, all, you folks I'm sure all know who Danielle Smith is. For those folks in other parts of the country and the world, Danielle Smith was first with, I think she was with Global News, and then she entered politics, became leader of the Wild Rose Party, was official opposition leader in Alberta for a short spell, and then decided it was time to walk away from the Wild Rose Party, cross the floor to the Progressive Conservatives under Jim Prentice, was soundly defeated in a in the next, I guess it was a nomination race for the next election, went back to the media, and now just, a, just last week announced that she would be interested in getting back into elected politics. So, yeah. Um... Make up your mind. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> do you want to be a politician or do you want to be in the media? I mean, I mean, Danielle has definitely made some questionable decisions in her career. Um, crossing the floor and draining the Conservative Party under Jim Prentice was one of them. Uh, that pretty much ended her political career. And, um, I mean, because she was the leader of the party when she crossed the floor. I mean, that that's about the dumbest thing a politician could do. And she did it. So... I mean, I, I've I've also heard rumblings that if Jason Kenney loses his leadership bid, that he's or leadership uh, review that she's going to 
um, possibly throw her hat in the in the ring for that. Well, you've proven that you don't really want to be a leader of a political party because you left that post last time you held it. Yeah, see, that's a, a really good point. I mean, going back, and that would have been 2014 that she uh, had made that, that crossing of the floor to the PC party. And I get it was a different situation because you had two right-of-center parties in the legislature, although I would question if the Jim Prentice PCs were really that right-wing. That would be for history to decide. But I think if you're going to do something like that, I mean, cross the floor, but when you're the leader of the party, you'd think that you would step down first, then uh, once that, that, that dust settles, then cross the floor, instead of just saying, uh, oh, by the way, my self-leader and seven MLAs are walking out. Yeah, or at least try to merge the parties or something like that. I mean, being the leader and just crossing the floor as the leader, I mean, she... How could you not see that this was going to end badly for you? Yeah, you got to wonder. I wonder if that's. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if she regrets that, or I'm certainly curious what her thoughts are on on that whole how the fallout you know came from that decision. Yeah, and I mean, when she was the leader, and don't get me wrong, I mean, when she was the leader of the uh, Wild Rose Party, I really liked her. Um, I I liked what she had to say. I liked how. Um, how she presented herself and how, how she came across in the media. I really liked her. I, I really thought that she would be, you know, the next premier of the province. Um, and then that happened. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with that. She definitely is well-spoken. She had a good message. She was certainly very likable and, and still is in, in her media roles. So, I'm actually excited to see her return to Alberta politics. I think she will inject something that isn't currently there, but she's always going to have that that dark cloud hanging over her head. Now, I'm curious when she uh, left the media, she left Chorus Entertainment, she had a radio show in Calgary, and when she left the show, she had published a, I guess, kind of like a public resignation letter, just saying there are things that we're not allowed to say and... I'm kind of curious if it was the if Chorus Entertainment was censoring her or if it was just a matter of these are things you can no longer say publicly. So, um, yeah, I'm well, really kind of curious about her story. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Chorus Entertainment was censoring her or attempting to. Um, I believe, I mean, if you look at um, Chorus Entertainment's history with uh, talk show hosts, it's not good. Um I mean, Jim, uh, uh, Dave Rutherford, uh, he was fired. Um, she left under, uh, under, you know, uh, what's the word, under uh, some controversy. Uh, there's been a few others, and not just in Alberta, like in other parts of the country that have all left, uh, you know, not amicably. Well, that's interesting. I know you mentioned Dave Rutherford on a, on a previous show because uh, I'm not sure if what had happened before, but I remember it was in the, I believe it was the High River Floods when he had, I think it was it was actually a pretty lame comment just saying something about, you know, shouldn't you want to keep us 
keep the power on here so we can bring the news to people or something of that effect, right? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't anything that was really, you know, scathing or, or controversial and he got fired for it. Cause I think he was being he was being a little critical of how the floods were being handled, right? And how uh how you know it would have been a good thing if they had kept the power on at the radio stations so that they could get the messages out, uh, they could get info information out to the people. Um, I, th- I believe that's what it was about, and he got fired for it. Yeah, weird. So I mean, there, there, there's there's a there's a, a handful of you know uh, former talk show hosts with Chorus Entertainment across the country that have left under you know. Um, controversial circumstances like that. So I would have no doubt that Chorus Entertainment was probably trying to censor her. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So anyway, best of luck to you, Miss Smith. Uh, certainly look forward to watching what, uh, how your return to politics goes. So um, let's bat down some brief budget talks just before we get to our bigger topics for today. So, by the time we do our next full episode, Canada, Christian Freeland, our finance minister and deputy prime minister, will, uh, in a very condescending manner, have presented a budget to us, April 7th. Uh, <laughs> and we did, and we know that because every time she talks about anything, she's very condescending. Yes, she is. <laughs> so, uh, now, I, ha- I laughed out loud when there was a media outlet, and I can't remember which one it was, uh, I think, oh, this is the Toronto Star, that it said she had been hinting she was going to try to, to balance the budget by 2026, but now that the NDP have thrown a, a, a list of priorities at the government, we're not sure what she's going to do with the budget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, because, yeah, because that budget being balanced in 2026 was definitely going to happen. Oh, absolutely, yes, with... With with these clowns in charge. Oh my god! I mean, if anything, this 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 group of yahoos has shown that they have no intention of ever balancing the budget because they're going to make it the next government's problem. Well, yeah, they're never going to rein in spending. They I mean even with last year's budget, they were talking about this one hundred billion dollars that was going to f- just float around for. I believe at that time they were saying possibly infrastructure, but they didn't know what they were going to do with it. So uh, they don't know what they're going to do with anything in the budget. We don't know if there's going to be increased spending for the military. Anita Anand has suggested <laughs> that she wants that, but... Ah! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if there's anything in this in this country that the government, that this government is not spending money on, it's the military. Well, exactly, especially with the NDP. I mean, uh, Jagmeet Singh has already said, essentially, I'm just paraphrasing, that, well, if military spending increases, that's fine, but first we need to have help for Canadians, humanitarian relief, and we need that dental care and pharma care before we can start thinking about such foolish things as the military. Yeah, but you know, and you know what really bugs me about this is that people like Jagmeet Singh and... You know, uh, various MPs of the M of the Liberal Party and uh, and all that. How they're praising 
Ukrainians for fighting back against Russia and for their bravery and for all of this and they're sending them weapons and all this that you know weapons that we don't even have they have to go buy them and then send them um, they uh, they turn around and tell our military that we don't need the military basically is what they've said i mean they've yeah. starved our military of 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 new weapons of new planes of uh supply ships icebreakers submarines uh canada could not defend itself if poland decided to invade us yeah that's absolutely true and uh, i mean we've got the the rank and file i mean our, we've got Less than 100,000 people in our military, as far as membership is concerned, and they're, what a surprise, they're having problems with recruiting. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't want to sign up if you, you couldn't equip me properly either. No, exactly. And I mean, I have nothing, no criticism of our soldiers themselves. They are doing a valiant job with the World War II weapons and equipment that they have, um, but... I mean, this is this 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 country. We have the longest coastline of any country in the world. We have the longest undefended border with another country in the world. And if anybody decided to try and invade Canada, anybody, and I mean anybody, Liechtenstein could invade Canada. And we wouldn't have the equipment or the weapons to defend ourselves. I mean, we can't even we can't even declare our own sovereignty in the Arctic because we don't have an icebreaker. We don't have submarines. I mean, Russia could easily and to anybody out there who doesn't think Russia will do it, uh, just look at what's happening in the world right now. If Russia decided to just send icebreakers over the top of the world right now and come into Canadian territory and put troops on the ground in the Arctic and build and build a base up there, we could not stop them. Yep, absolutely right. Now, um, Military is a big priority, especially because what's going on in the world right now. And uh, bear in mind, Canada, this is Ipsos polling, the, whose numbers I'm going to release. Ipsos polling has never been accused of being a right-wing pollster. It, uh, in the poll, this was done last month when Ipsos revealed that 78% of Canadians have listed as a priority in this upcoming budget. And you're going to be wanting to sit down here, Canada. 78% of Canadians actually want the government to lower taxes, do something to fight inflation, and do something to make life more affordable. For once, Canadians aren't saying, oh, our priorities are health care and climate change. Canadians actually want to be able to afford to live. 78% of us. Well... Yeah, and I mean, you and I were talking about what topics we wanted to discuss before the show, and this when you brought this one up, I said, you know what, I'm going to just share, you know keep my opinions to myself until we're recording, and uh, because 
This one actually really angers me. It, it makes me mad that Canadians uh, are, that almost 80% of Canadians are prioritizing cost of living and, um, and the economy right now. And why does it make me mad? It makes me mad because for, what, a decade, their top priority has been programs that just require more and more and more spending. Their top priorities for the past decade have been programs that require carbon taxes and raising other taxes to pay for all that spending. And now, now their priority is cost of living. Now their priority is, is inflation. Now their priority is being able to feed the family. I mean, that should have been your priorities all along. But no, you wanted, you wanted the government to push programs that required increasing taxes and printing money, which in turn causes inflation and unaffordability. And now that's your priority? That makes me mad. And it should. That, that's really well said. And that should make all Canadians mad because we've had a government, especially, I mean... Stephen Harper at least was able to manage the bank accounts a little, a lot better than Justin Trudeau. But Justin Trudeau's government has been all about virtue signaling. It's been all about the sizzle and never any stake. And Pierre Polyev has actually brought to light the the housing crisis as far as affordability is concerned. And I give him credit for that. He has talked about how unaffordable houses are, how the price of housing has doubled since Justin Trudeau has been prime minister. And all that Justin Trudeau says is, oh, we're going to build more houses. Well, there needs to be cooperation from three levels of government for that. And I know we've talked about this before on the show, but any measure that the government is trying to do to increase housing is nothing more than talk because they can't do it unless they're actually willing to cooperate with other governments and industry. And Trudeau doesn't care. Trudeau just wants to to tell you sunny ways you will do as I say, well, that doesn't always work. No, it never works. I mean, the thing is, is that in Canada, building permits are, are approved by local governments. And those local governments, just like all small businesses in this country, can't find employees. They can't find people. So how do you approve building permits when you don't even have people to um, review the plans and make sure that they meet code and all that kind of stuff? I, the, the, problem, the problem started a long time ago. And that problem was that, you know, they were... They, they put in so many roadblocks and so much red tape to get things done in this country from uh, from infrastructure projects to natural resource sector projects to housing to everything. Everything takes forever to get passed in this country. And 
now people are shocked that we don't have enough housing for the country. Now people are shocked that, you know, we we uh, we have inflation that's out of control. And it really is out of control because when you uh, when you take into account the things that they don't count in inflation calculations, which is housing and energy, you know, the two outside of food, the two biggest expenses every month for a family inflation is actually in in the double digits it's in the 12 13 percent range oh likely and, yeah and, and in, uh... in the u.s the u.s the the actual inflation rate is 15 or 16 percent like it's and canada is about I'm I'm s like I I've been following the inflation rates in both countries, and I think Canada's inflation rate is about two months behind the American inflation rate. So if their inflation rate, their their true inflation rate is around fifteen percent, that's where ours will be in two months. Well, that won't surprise me one bit. So I'll be interested to see what kind of measures Christopher Freeland takes in this next budget. I have zero confidence whatsoever that she's going to have any good news for Canadians. But we no, will, we will only, bring you the news. The only measures that she's going to bring in to fight inflation and to fight uh, cost of living increases is going to be more spending. Yep. <laughs> and, that, and that's the exact cause of the problems. That's no solution. Yep. That will exacerbate the issue. Yeah, exactly right. So I'm... Uh... I am a little concerned where this next budget is going to go, but but we'll see. So um, we'll move on from that, Canada, and let's talk a little bit about childcare. Uh, this one actually got me kind of ticked off when uh, Karina Gould, who is the Minister of Families, was on talking with Evan Solomon after Ontario signed on. So Ontario is the last province to sign on to this national $10 a day childcare deal, and... You know, coincidentally, there's going to be an election call in Ontario within weeks because that's the June 3rd, I believe, is, is uh, election day. So she was announcing that now nationwide, you know, this deal is done. And so this $10 daycare, $10 a day daycare, sorry, um, this is nationwide, has to be provided by either government facilities directly and government employees or by government approved facilities. And the government actually has said there needs to be a certain minimum wage for the early childcare educators. And so even if it's a private daycare provider, they still have to follow all the government uh, guidelines and whatnot. And I honestly, when she was talking, it made me think of all the lessons I learned about the Soviet Union when I was in school, how the family would go to the factory, they would drop their kids off at the government daycare at the factory, and the kids would be taught by the government daycare workers and got to be indoctrinated as you know, how wonderful the current government was to help perpetuate the system. And I thought, here we are. Yep. I mean, we've been dealing with this in the public education system for 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 decades, um, and it's only getting worse. Uh, and now we're going to be having to deal with it in childcare. Um, it's there is one silver lining to this, and that is is that 
nobody can find workers, so there won't be any spaces available. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In in a weird way, that actually is a silver lining, you're right. Yes, no, it's, it's, it is, it's really bad. Like, even I can't find workers. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely brutal. Like, I, 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 I think I've said on this show that, you know, this year I've had three people not show up for their first day of work. I've, I've, uh, half the people that I arrange interviews with don't show up for the interview. Wow. They don't, they don't even tell me. They just don't show up. Um, the past three weeks I've received one resume and it's, it's just brutal. Like, so the silver lining is, is that there won't be any people to fill these government childcare jobs and there won't be anybody there to indoctrinate our kids. So <laughs> it's, that's, that's the silver lining to all this. Um, the problem is, is that, yeah, I mean, <sighs> I have a problem with this because my kids never went to $10 a day daycare. We paid for it because they're our kids. Right. And we were responsible for their, the costs of raising children. The government wasn't responsible for it. We were responsible for it. And I'm just... Here, here, you just released, you, you just revealed the, the results of that Ipsos poll. The 78% of people are, their number one concern is affordability, inflation, and the economy. Yet, here we are trying to bring in $10 a day daycare, which is going to require a massive expenditure from the federal government, the provincial governments, and possibly local governments, and and yet people's and this is what i'm talking about this is this is how they plan to fight inflation and cost of living is to spend more money for programs like this and they bragged about that that was actually that was that was that was the liberal talking point uh up to even a month ago when anybody would ask what you're doing for affordability they all trumped up oh we've got we've got this $10 a day daycare, which is going to see results in five years. And, yeah. Which only, by the way, affects, what, 5% of Canadians? Or maybe maybe 10% of Canadians at most? Because the, there's only a small percentage of people that have kids in that age group. That's a good point, yeah. And what really frosted my bananas is uh, going through that interview with Evan Solomon and Karina Gould is when he asked her if there was any kind of provisions for stay-at-home parents, she was so flippant and condescending that I wanted to reach through my radio and just let her have it. Is uh, she just the way she kind of talked down? Said, "Well, they'll 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 always have that choice." And so then he asked her, "Would there be any supports for stay-at-home parents?" And she just said. Well, they'll have that choice if they if they wish to stay home with their children, and that was that was it. And I thought, I mean, I uh, there's nothing wrong with someone who wants to stay home with their kids. And she really 
gave that that air that uh you know what kind of moron would want to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad and studies have shown that kids who actually have a stay-at-home parent are quite often very well adjusted yeah more so um the thing the thing is is that it's not a bad thing and i mean it's quite the opposite it's the best thing for the kids is to have a parent at home until they go to school. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, my wife and I did it for as long as we could, um, for as long as we could afford to. Uh, I mean, my my wife uh, stayed home with our first for two years. Um, she stayed home with our second for eighteen months. The only reason the, that she had that she went back to work after eighteen months is because I lost my job because of the. 2008 crash and so she had to quickly find a job to help just pay bills um but i mean it was other than that i mean she would have stayed home a lot longer the second time um and there's i i I, it really irritates me how stay-at-home moms are looked down upon by working moms. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's really sad because I'm like you with when my kids were born, actually my uh, my first wife stayed home with them until they were in grade one and two, respectively. And that's when our marriage broke down. So, I mean, she may have stayed home longer if uh, had we stayed together. But there's, there's stay-at-home parents everywhere. And, they, and I, I really applaud the ones who make that decision. Like, there's a... A family I know back where I grew up where they just sat down and the mom had a very successful accounting business. So the dad said, okay, I'll stay home and raise the kids. And there's really something to having a parent there with the kids all day. Because uh, there are certain needs that kids will sometimes have that, well, a paid government worker isn't always going to provide. Yep, absolutely. and And it's... And it, it really, I find it really, I really, I really get irritated by, by these families who choose to have one parent stay home with the kids, generally the mom, Usually, and, yeah. and, and yet they vote liberal or NDP and because the liberals and NDP hate those people. True. I mean, they hate those people that stay home with their kids because, and, and I mean, they've done everything they can to force people back into the workforce. I mean, they, they even talk about it. They go, you know, if we if we have this program, then women will get back into the workforce. If we have if we have the uh, child care, ten dollar a day daycare, then women will get back into the child into the workforce earlier. Well, maybe they don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and, and because of these programs and and higher taxes and more spending and the inflation rate and everything, you're forcing these women to go back to work early before they want to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and whether it's by design or not, it's in in my in this case with our federal liberal government, it's because of their absolute stupidity and complete lack of knowledge as to how to run a government. They've made life so unaffordable that it's almost impossible. For for one parent to stay home with the kids now. So it's definitely an affordability issue. But in my opinion, if you're going to make this affordable daycare option, 
they should make a provision for parents who choose to stay home with their kids. I mean, whether whether we as a society agree with the with the decision or not, we should still make provisions to allow for that choice. Such as income splitting. Like like income splitting. Wait a minute. We had a prime minister who actually had implemented such a thing, didn't we? Yes, we did. And then we had a prime minister right after that that eliminated that. Almost immediately, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're talking about Harper and Trudeau, by the way. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, income splitting was one of the best things to happen to uh parents or to, to families that had one working parent because they could take that working parent's wages and divide it by two and pay lower tax rates. Yeah, it was, uh, in my, in my opinion, that was actually one of those ways we actually did encourage stay-at-home parenting or even just, you know, for the sake of mental health, one spouse decides, hey, I need to cut back my work schedule um, or my workload or whatever, and we could still make make it work because of income splitting. Yeah, and income splitting is a is a normal thing in the United States. Yeah, that's I right. Mean, so they, they that, that's just part of the thing, uh, part of their tax code down there. They and, and working two people working can take they, they they can file their taxes as a household and take and just combine both of their wages divided by two and pay lower tax rates because one person makes a lot less than the other one. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's a shame that there's the such brilliant ideas that we've already used won't uh, ever even enter into Christian Freeland's head because they were quote Harper's ideas. Yeah, well, at least he had ideas. Yeah, exactly. And uh, let's transition that into Trudeau's latest idea. Now, this was uh, something we had brought to you when the new cabinet was revealed. Well, quasi news, just cabinet shuffle. And we read through some of their mandate letters. In Stephen Gilbo's mandate letter, our environment minister, they, they, these were, provisions were laid out for the oil and gas sector, and now they've just been announced that, uh, well, I guess it's now about government policy. The oil and gas sector now has to reduce its emissions by 40% by 2030. And you would just point out when we were talking before the show, Lewis, that in eight years... Um, it will be mandated for Canadian auto dealers to sell 60% of their vehicles, electric vehicles. And by 2035, the internal combustion engine is going to be outlawed altogether for new vehicles. And I'm curious when they're talking about, oh, we need, we're going to increase oil and gas production to help Europe. But yet the sector itself has to reduce emissions by 40%. I'm A, confused and B, pissed off. Yeah, I don't understand where their thinking is. I mean, if they're thinking. They're not. Uh, because we're seeing the consequences of weaning yourself off of fossil fuels right now in Europe. Exactly. Because their renewables don't do it. They, they, they have, you know, wind doesn't. Provide, doesn't produce electricity if it's not windy or if it's blowing too hard, believe it or not. If the wind is, too, is, is blowing too hard, they lock those windmills down. 
They don't let them even spin because they can get damaged from spinning too fast. So if it's not windy or too windy, there's no electricity being generated by wind power. Sun, you know, solar, only produces electricity when it's receiving direct sunlight. If it's cloudy, it's not generating power. If it's nighttime, not generating power. You know, I mean, it's so it's very intermittent as well. And now countries in Europe like Germany are are having problems um, supplying enough energy to their to their population because their renewables aren't doing the job. They've been shutting down their their nuclear plants. And uh, they've become, you know, their gas supply has been from Russia. So, I mean, I, I think that what's happening in Europe right now is is a perfect example to use of what not to do. And and we should be energy self-sufficient. And the fossil fuel industry has a uh, a role to play in that. Oh, absolutely it does. And uh, the only real uh, silver linings, to use the expression you, you said earlier, in this is that the Trudeau government has never met any of its climate change targets. And, I mean, I wish I could say eventually there's going to be an adult in the room who realizes how dumb this is, but I, don't, I, don't, I no longer have that kind of faith. But I, uh, all I can say is I... The, the only other silver lining I can find is that at least this time there was no mention of taking into account upstream and downstream emissions, which is exactly what killed the Energy East project. So maybe by using carbon capture and whatnot, the oil and gas sector actually will be able to reduce somewhat its emissions. But I'm with yeah. you. We uh, We can see exactly what's going to happen to us by looking at Europe right now, and yet this moron in Ottawa still seems to think that we have to virtuously walk down that same path and show how much better we are than everybody else. Well, I mean, look at California, okay? California has rolling blackouts, and it's so common that they don't even make the news anymore. But they still have them. They have rolling blackouts every summer. That's true, yeah, and they've, and they've got this big solar field out in the desert, uh, I guess it would be in eastern California, and birds actually can't fly over there because, well, the the heat from those the, those solar panels are radiating, actually torches birds, kills them. Yeah, and there's a wind farm in, is it California, the wind farm? Or it might be, uh, I think it is California. There's a wind farm there that's so big that, it kills over ten thousand birds a year from the from the uh, the blades the, bla- the blades of the windmills spinning around and taking birds out. Yeah, that's right. And they were actually uh, well, the ones here at least in uh, the prairies. There are some, and they uh, they found that they're killing birds, they're killing bats, and they said, yeah, they're actually doing a lot of damage to the to the ecosystem in that respect. So. Uh, not, so yes, by all means, supplement with some wind power, supplement with hydroelectricity. We love hydro here, and I'm fine with that. And 
great that we're now talking about small modular nuclear reactors. But, uh, but yeah, we're never going to be free of fossil fuels, at least not in the immediate future. So why not embrace it? Canada produces the most uh, environmentally sustainable, cleanest energy in the world. Let's promote that. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, 2030, 60% of new car sales have to be electric. Well, where's all this electricity coming from, for one? Second of all, the grid can't handle all this extra uh, electricity that needs to be provided. Uh, third, the um, have you ever driven an electric car across the prairies in February? I mean... It's like the the range on these things drops dramatically when it gets really cold out. The range drops dramatically when it gets really hot out. And I live in a province where the roads go up and down, too. And uh, like (laughs) up mountains and down mountains. Down mountains is fine, but up mountains, not so good. And when it's 25, 30 below zero and you're going up a mountain, um, I mean, that that range just gets cut big time. I mean, there isn't, there is not a single electric car on the market right now that can get me from where I live to Vancouver on one charge. Yeah, see, that's the biggest thing I was thinking of is that the distance between places, like there's, there's no electric car right now that I could take from Saskatoon and drive to Edmonton to see my kids, for example. I would have to go halfway, spend the night in a hotel while charging said car, get there the next day, charge up said car again, and then be able to drive around. Like, it's uh, it's not practical, and by all means, continue to develop the technology. But to force it upon us like this when it's just not ready for prime time, it's 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 short-sighted at best. That's the nicest thing I can say. Well, and not to mention, where are you going to get all the minerals and metals needed to make the batteries? Well, you'll need to have that equipment that runs on diesel to uh, mine it. Well, and you're going to have to have giant open pit mines. And that, yep. Which is something that the people advocating for electric cars also oppose. Right. (laughs) Oh, God, this has just got wrong written all over it. Yep. (laughs) All right, Canada, we've got one more topic we want to cover before we wrap the show up. And that is, we've talked about Bill C-10 a lot on this show because it's a censorship bill. It is now called C-11. And my God, Canada, this actually could be something positive for a change. Well, maybe not. The government has decided they're going to convene a, uh, quote, expert advisory group, which I know already makes you guys feel a little bit of bile in the back of your throat. This expert advisory group is going to discuss changes to C-11 because they want you to know that they've heard you, Canada. They've heard your concerns about censorship. And this expert advisory panel is going to discuss changes to help allay our fears. Now, I got to throw this out for context. And this came from the National Post. This isn't from me. That Russia at one time had brought in a bill, much like C-11. It was uh, something to monitor inappropriate content online and initially this bill was in russia was as a as a means to to you know uh 
I guess as, as a way to to monitor the media for any kind of hate speech or for any subversive activities, and very quickly turned into a a bill and a law and an ability for government to quell any kind of internal dissent and prevent any external information from flowing into the country. Now, we know that Justin Trudeau loves his basic dictatorship, so where is our faith at all that we won't go the same path as Russia? I don't have any. Exactly. The only silver lining to this panel is that Michael Geist has been appointed to the panel. Now, those of you who haven't heard the name Michael Geist, or maybe have and are thinking why you heard that name, Michael Geist is a professor at University of Ottawa who has been very outspoken against censorship, and he's very pro-free speech. So I don't know if he's just a token member of the panel to make people like me feel better, or if he might actually have some input, but he's the only silver lining I see to this. If he has any influence at all, fantastic, but I'm just getting more and more worried. Yeah, and I mean... This bill is is very worrisome. I mean, if this bill passes, uh, I don't believe it's really going to affect our show. Um, but it will de- no, but it will definitely affect ev- anything and everything that you post online. Um, if you're critical of the government, like I don't know what they're going to consider hate speech. Um, because that's the problem, right? When you start censoring, you, when you start censoring speech, it's the people in charge that decide what is hate speech. Actually, that's a good point. And, uh, that's another provision that was in here is it said that in the current form, the, it would be government bureaucrats who would be deciding what is offensive and what is hate speech. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because... Oh, great. Bureaucrats. Okay, I just want all our listeners to do this little exercise. Just think about how many idiots you know. I'm sure there's there's a bunch. I'm sure there's a lot. You encounter them in traffic. You encounter them at the grocery store. You encounter them in your own families. How many idiots, like actual idiots, do you know? Because they work in government, too. The, the federal government is our largest employer. And these people are the ones that are going to be deciding what you can and can't say on the Internet. And, and I've had enough dealings with people who are government employees to know that there's a higher percentage of idiots that work for the government. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're, I shouldn't laugh because you are absolutely correct about that. And these are the people that are going to be deciding whether you, what you can and can't say on the internet. The government isn't some, like, you know, peopleless entity with altruistic motives. That's not what a government is. A government is a collection of people. And there's a lot of morons in society. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And unfortunately, the government of the day tends to hire these bureaucrats, so they often tend to 
align politically with that said government. So, uh, wow, here I was hoping there'd be a silver lining, and now you've just depressed me more. Well, I've always said this, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to repeat it on this show. I mean, I've said it before on this show, and I'm going to say it again. If you want to know if a law, a proposed law, is a good law or a bad law, just imagine how your worst enemy could use it against you. Because the next election, your worst enemy could be in power. So if they can, if that, if your worst enemy could use that law against you in a real negative way, then that law should not be passed. And this law, if, and if you're, if you're a hardcore NDPer or, or uh, lefty and you support this law, imagine if the person that you hate the most in Canadian politics, which I assume would be Pierre Polyev, gets into power in the, after the next election, and you have these fears of how Pierre Polyev would use that law against you by turning the tables on what is and isn't allowed to be said on the internet, then you should not support this law. And by the way, Pierre Polyev would never use it that way because he is a conservative who believes in free speech. The worst, or the, 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 the worst thing that he might do is keep that law in place. The, but most likely, he will scrap that law as soon as he's in power. But if you're so scared of someone like Pierre Polyev or you're scared of someone like, you know, uh, I, I don't know, just some scary white, right-wing guy. Um, think about how that guy might use that law against you. And if he can, and it's not a good situation, that law should never pass. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to look at it. And I think we'll wrap the show up on that, Canada. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds very altruistic in that we want to keep hate speech off, off the internet and we want, yeah, we don't want hate speech. We don't want people to be offended. And that's the online harms bill. that will come back by the way. But, but yeah, with C11, it's, it, it is censorship and yet yeah, you laid it out really well. I mean, think about the other end of it. So, uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there at Canada because we do like to leave you on a sour note whenever we can. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty much just a tradition now. <laughs> it seems to be, yeah. So uh, thank you for joining us, Canada, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in B.C. Good night. Good night, Canada.